0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, a look back at week one versus the Raiders and a preview of week two versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's go. Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host Desmond Johnson, joined by two-time Super Bowl winner, the first defensive player ever drafted by the Carolina Panthers back in 1995, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going
1: on, Ty? Hey, Desmond. It's always good, man, to speak to the Carolina Panthers hopefuls, till I'm telling them to continue to keep pounding, keep pounding, baby.
0: You know, we, uh, we're we so, so happy that the season is actually going on. We actually got in a football game last week, Ty. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Panthers versus Raiders, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like uh, from last Sunday. And then we're going to preview Panthers versus Buck, um, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Um, before we get to that, though, um, the wait is finally over, Ty. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Um, I actually had thought about putting something down on a, anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge North Carolina Tar Heels fan, and I'm so excited that Mac Brown has started bringing back the buzz to that football program. They were supposed to play UNC Charlotte this Saturday. Um, at two 30 and I have a connection to Charlotte cause I used to be their studio host for am IM, for IMG sports a couple years ago for football and basketball. As we were starting to record this, the word came down that that game has been post, well has been canceled actually due to coronavirus concerns. Um, the Charlotte offensive line group, apparently through contact tracing, uh, they've realized there's about three or four of them guys that need to be in quarantine. So, They decided Charlotte just announced it and told Carolina that that game will not be on. So I don't have that game to bet on. And I'm trying to stay away from NFL after what happened last week. But uh, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coach and props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today. Take advantage of all Mm -hmm. the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Um, Panthers Raiders, interesting game last week. Thirty-four to thirty was the final. Raiders emerged victorious. I think we both kind of mentioned through the offseason that we kind of expected a lot of shootouts from this Panther team, and it did not disappoint. Um, it was a, it was an interesting game, exciting game. I felt like neither team really had control of it, although the Raiders led for most of the game. Um, let's do this because I, I pulled out a couple of things I noticed mm-hmm. as I was watching the game and I'm sure you probably did the same. Let's do basically what we'll call back and forth where I'll give you something. I saw you give me something mm-hmm. you saw. I'll give you something. I saw you want to, you want to go first or you want me to take off?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to add something to it as well. I'm going to say, why, why I'm going to call mine. Why? So um <laughs> starting out again, like you say, I'm just happy to get football back into play. I know a lot of fans are happy to get football back into play, just live sports, period, man. Uh, But again, the Panther fans didn't get the outcome we wanted. But this is why I'm saying why. Now, I know the first thing people are going to say is why trailing 34 to thirty the Panthers offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, called a handoff to the fullback. Oh, you went
0: right Instead to the heart. Instead of giving
1: it to all-pro, yeah, Chris He went McCaffrey. right to it. Exactly, right to it. Yeah, I'm going right to it, going right to it, no beating around the bush. On fourth and inches at, 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 at midfield, and he stopped, okay, with one minute and 11 seconds left on the clock. Now, you got McCafferty, he don't racked up 130-plus yards from uh, scrimmage. And scored two touchdowns. Well, I wanted Panther fans to know this. All right, I'm going to take you back in the time machine. There's a lot of reasons why coaches do things. Uh, Why? Why did the coach do that? Why did Seattle versus the Patriots in the Super Bowl, why did they not get a ball to Marshawn Lynch? Why throw the ball in that particular situation? Mm -hmm. Okay? (laughs) And if you're a basketball fan, why did the Clippers lose a 3-1
0: Oh, Series don't get me. me started on the. I'm a Laker fan. <laughs> don't get me started. I've been listening to Clipper talk all year, and I'm like, yo, it still says Clippers on their jersey. Like, I don't care who's in the uniform, they will find a way to disappoint you. And they literally just bottomed out. Like, oh, don't even get don't even get me started. With Clippers. I'll yeah, be here all day.
1: <laughs> so, so you know, so again, it goes back to the why, why, why do the coaches do this? Why do do teams lose? Chances that they should have won. Well, regardless of the situation, regardless of the call, I want the Panther fans to understand this. It still comes down to execution. The offense has, at least the offense has a quick, I say a quick second advantage over the defense because they know the snap count. They know which direction the ball is going to go. We on defense, we're guessing. From the time of that snap of the ball, we're actually reacting. So the offense knows where it's going. The defense doesn't. Point blank, it's an offensive execution of that play that failed, not the actual player. So regardless, the offensive line has to execute their blocks. The offensive line did not execute their block. The Raiders' defensive line was able to get into the gaps and actually stop the play. So, again, Coach Rule is going to take blame. He's going to take blame. Like he he said, it's his fault.
0: Yeah, he did. He did the post.
1: Yeah, and every head coach does that. Mm -hmm. Every leader does that because they're covering up for the mistakes of the others because they are in charge of them (laughs) until Mm -hmm. that leader gets fired or those – players get released so you're supposed to if your coach rule you are you are going to say the buck stops with me which it does but at the end of the day desmond and all the panther fans it wasn't the the, the play that was called it was the execution they did not execute whether it was one player on the offensive line somebody did not execute because i believe an offense is supposed to get one yard Mm-hmm. whether it's the fullback or the tailback carrying that ball, or if it's a quarterback sneak, usually if somebody did not execute that block properly, which allowed a defensive player to get in the area where the ball was being run. So I don't think it was nothing about the play. I think it was basically execution of somebody on that offensive line.
0: Yeah. And I think that, I think uh, coach rule said they had ran it before uh, previously and and had success with it. And I agree with you totally because the Raiders defensive end, the left defensive end, he was in the backfield as Armand was getting the ball handed off to him. He already had an arm on him. So clearly the right side of the Carolina Panthers offensive line did not come through on that play, although they leaned on them a lot. I noticed they were running a lot to the right side on a on a Sunday. For me, the very first thing that comes to mind, and this th- it bothered me throughout the entire game, whoever is running the crowd noise at Bank of America Stadium needs to be replaced or fired or something because – it was off all game. Like, And when I say <laughs> off, I mean like the Raiders would run for a first down and a cheer would come up from the guy whoever was running the noise thing. Or uh, when, when we had the 75-yard touchdown reception from Teddy Bridgewater to Robbie Anderson in the third quarter, it was like the crowd noise guy didn't know what to do. Like there was no explosion or roar or anything like that. But it felt like it was almost like a Raiders home game because every time the Raiders did something, the crowd guy would hit a, a big roar from the crowd. And I'm like – they're in Charlotte. Like, I don't understand this. Like, watching the Thursday night game, that Chiefs game before this one, maybe spoiled mm-hmm. me because whoever was doing the Chiefs game had it on point. Like, they were, they knew when to boo, when to cheer, when to get the crowd up, and when to bring them down. Whoever was running it at Bank of America on Sunday needs to be fired because they were not <laughs> – they, yeah. they affected the viewership of the game for me because it, it made yeah. me keep thinking about the guy – like what is this guy doing? Why is he? Why is he throwing a cheer up when the Panthers just, you know, didn't make the first down? You know, like that that play yeah. that you just described. A cheer goes up from the crowd when when they, we didn't get it clearly, and I'm like, this this isn't working. Like you can't just press buttons and throw crowd noise out there. You have to actually kind of map the game out. Whoever's doing it, and, and, and plus people that know me, they know I'm super anal about sound to begin with. So for me, that was the first thing that uh, that popped to mind. Um, also the fact that I didn't realize it till after the game was over and you were right. McCaffrey had 133 yards, all purpose from the line of scrimmage. He, uh, actually rushed for 96 yards on 26 carries. I left that game feeling like they didn't, they didn't give it to him enough. You know, like I felt like for some reason he didn't have the ball in his hands enough. He only had three receptions for like 38 yards, but they only targeted him in the pass game four times. And there was so many times, maybe this was because I'm used to Cam Newton always checking down or seeing Kyle Allen having to check down a lot last year, but I wasn't used to Teddy not immediately going to McCaffrey for the check down. Like you would see McCaffrey run out about, it'd be a one back set. McCaffrey runs out usually from the left side and he's taking kind of like a, a, a route towards the, uh, the, the, the sidelines. And Teddy, for his credit, Teddy was basically thrown middle of the field. Like it was very rare to even see Teddy look at McCaffrey in the passing game, which was really jarring for me. I didn't expect that. And I hope that they kind of correct that. Cause I know they want to keep McCaffrey's touches down. But on the other hand, I'm like, yo, you just signed this dude to the, the biggest contract for a running back in NFL history. He's 24 years old. He's in his prime right now. What are you saving him for? Like, if you're going to use him. You want to use him 30 35 times a game? Fine, do it. I mean, that that's what you signed and gave him the money for now for. You're not saving him for 2022. Go ahead and let the man do his thing and uh use him in the pass game more. That's one of the takeaways I took from Sunday was that it didn't feel like they used him enough in the pass game even though counting his rushes and his, you know, his catches, he touched the ball 29 times. So I guess <laughs> I guess he really actually did uh especially in the third quarter. Third quarter was McCaffrey time. They just kind of fed him the ball, but do that earlier, do it in the first quarter, you know, why wait until you're down to feed your best player. So that was my first main takeaway.
1: Yeah. And i go back and you mentioned about the noise. Uh, and, and I think that's going to be something that is going to be kind of difficult uh, all throughout the league. Uh, you mentioned the chiefs, of course, let's not forget that the chiefs had fans uh, at their game. So that it was kind of yeah. easier for the person doing the noise to kind of be into the game because he's able to watch the reactions of the fans and, and and also let's go back and check this guy make sure he wasn't a Raiders fan you know it's a lot of Raiders, <laughs> Raiders fans yeah that <laughs> silver and black you know sometimes goes all across the country but uh, <laughs> you know they, we do travel. They, they do
0: travel they travel very well I will give them that for sure it was just so weird it was like you yeah. see the Panthers get like a a good run or something from McCaffrey and it would be like a murmur but then, like, like I think the Panthers only got sacked, like, once. And we didn't get any sacks on Carr. He was just getting the ball out too fast. But whenever the Raiders would make a play, a cheer would go up. And I'm just like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, I think it's going to affect teams down the road. Like, if they don't have their sound guy, like, like proper, like, in, in tune with what's going on with the game and not just sitting there pressing a button whenever the ball is down, I think that's yeah. going to help some teams, actually. I think it's going to create this weird, artificial home field advantage that other teams may not be able to match so they can figure that part out. And I don't think anybody's talking about it, but it, it it was very very apparent to me watching that game that the crowd noise was just weird. <laughs> like whoever yeah, was it doing was. it just what just wasn't on. But what it else was. did you pull from? Uh, what else did you pull from Sunday,
1: Ty? Well, well, wait, well, here's my other why, why, why it is important for a backup player to study like a starter. Hmm. Okay, Troy Pride Jr. Oh. He saw a lot. He saw a lot of action. Yeah, he did <laughs> a lot of action. Yeah, uh, he played in about 58 defensive snaps, which is about 92 percent of the defensive plays. Uh, he finished with seven tackles. Talking about Pride, uh, mm-hmm. Troy Pride Jr. F- finished with seven tackles, four solos, which you know Maybe was
0: that,
1: yeah. a lot to do with the production of him struggling in coverage and they targeted him. So you're going to get a lot of, of tackles. And uh, I've been there, believe me, I've been there. (laughs) So, but let's remind everybody that he came in due to the fact that Eli Apple, uh, ankle injury, you know, being sidelined. So you have to be ready as a backup. It doesn't matter where you are on that roster. You have to be ready. And, Troy Pride Jr. got his opportunity. And yes, he finished third on the team overall in tackles. So I don't think it's going to get easier for him in the upcoming week against the Buccaneers, which I'm pretty sure we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But he, Troy Pride Jr., should expect a lot more work. If he thought he got worked with the Raiders game, then he could expect the same or more coming up against the Buccaneers. That's just how the game is played. They're going to always go and attack the weakest link. So it'll be interesting to see how Troy Pride Jr. responds. But this is why, again, talking about my whys from this past Raiders and Panthers game, this is why backup players have to study like starters.
0: Yeah, plus uh, start our number one cornerback, Dante Jackson, kind of went out early with an ankle injury. I yes. think he, he tried to go again but couldn't go. Uh, I haven't heard yet if he's going to be ready on Sunday. And a great point that you made that Eli Apple was out with an injury coming into the game. And I, I would like to think that Coach Rule wanted to start Apple and Jackson first and not throw pride out there week one uh, on an island uh, by himself. Uh, the fourth round selection from Notre Dame. He And there was a couple plays. Uh, Derek Carr picked on him a couple of times. Uh, I think he, he let a touchdown go a little bit over 20 yards, and uh, there was another 40-plus yard pickup that was his man. But uh, rookie growing pains, and the only way to really kind of get through it is to just throw him out in the fire, I guess. But, yes, the secondary was very thin uh, on Sunday, and we talked about it in the, the, the preview last week that – Derek Carr, to me, was a bit underrated in terms of being a quarterback. He's a 70% completion passer, threw for over 4,000 yards last year. And the I noticed the announcing team made this point during the game that it was really hard to sack Derek Carr because he gets the ball out in less than three seconds. Like, it's a, a real quick John Gruden-style offense where it's just, you know, hike the ball, two, three-step drop, boom, it's out. And, like, you don't really get a chance to get back there, as evident, because the, the Panthers had zero sacks on Sunday uh, against the Raiders. They just couldn't catch up to the ball in the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I did notice another rookie on the defense, and that was safety Jeremy Chin, who we've talked about throughout most of the offseason. He was the second leading tackler uh, on the team. He had eight total tackles, mm-hmm. seven solo. Um, he just seemed like he was making his presence felt back there in the back. Although I do feel like I was seeing him a little too much because the ball was in the air a lot and (laughs) you know, they were there. The Raiders seemed like they could score whenever they wanted to, but having said that the Panthers only punted twice in this entire game. So it wasn't like, you know, they couldn't score either. Um, but my, my second thing was Jeremy Chin. I think, uh, out of the rookies that played on Sunday, Jeremy Chin and Derek Brown, uh showed up the most in terms of on film um there's some film of Derek Brown like shedding like double teams and making tackles at the line on the run game and I, I was I made the mistake of going into some Panther groups on Facebook during the game I, I used to do it back years ago where there's uh-huh. like a running commentary from the fans and you get so many emotions in these groups that I stopped going in there because people would panic after one play they would mm-hmm. want to fire the coach after a fumble or an interception or that, that McCaffrey call that didn't happen. And you just you just see the pendulum swinging so far left and right in terms of where their emotions are during the game. I just really stopped visiting them. But I did it on Sunday just to kind of gather with it being a new team and everything. And uh, for the most part, the, the, the comments were the defense, they kind of expected this to happen. Um, mm-hmm. The defense played okay. They only allowed 133 yards on the ground. And one of my keys was they have to keep the Raiders to under 100 yards rushing to have a shot. They did a fairly good job of that in terms of trying to limit it. Although Jacobs, Josh Jacobs had a great day 25 carries, 93 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, which was really the main difference in this game was Jacobs. They couldn't really stop him, but. Brown stood out in film for me in terms of seeing what he was doing and he's already commanding double teams and he's sitting beside Kawan short and he's getting double teamed already. So that's a good look. And Jeremy chin back there at safety. Uh, I like him a lot. I like how he can drop down into the box if they need help with the run. They don't have to sub somebody out. Um, he kind of plays a hybrid safety cam chancellor type of role. Um, I'm looking for a lot of growth from him throughout the season. And, um, those two guys were uh, the second thing I noticed uh, on the defensive end. The two defensive rookies that really stood out uh, on Sunday.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now you go back and you mentioned a few things about um, which I'm just going to kind of lead me to my next point uh, <clears throat> on my whys. But of course, we know the Panthers' defense did not get a sack. Yeah, uh, I don't even think they got a, a, a pressure. Uh, I don't think they knocked Carr down even after he had thrown the ball. Now, that is something that I say why the defensive line could not put pressure or sack quarterback Derek Carr and why this could be a problem down the road in a division, the NFC South, where they have great quarterbacks. Now, even Matt Ryan, you go look at his numbers. Matt Ryan is up there as far as yardage. Uh, You look at uh, Drew Brees you know he's number 1 basically if you look at the last couple of years several years he's number 1 in statistics and then of course you got Brady uh with the Bucks now you can say that John Gruden's offense gets the ball out quick well i would say also you knowing that coming into the game you knew that coming into the game that that's what his offensive plan is and also Joe Brady his offense uh again is similar, almost not exactly like uh, New Orleans, where they get the ball out quick. If you look at Drew Brees, when that back foot hit, that ball is coming out. Mm-hmm. But my thing, still, you have to at least knock the quarterbacks around. You got to at least let them know I almost got you.
0: Put some hands on them. Yeah,
1: and put some hands on them. But when I look at some of the footage, uh, sometimes there was a great pocket built for Derek Carr. Now again. That could be because the Raiders, they did, like we talked about leading up to the game, their offensive line was one of the best, and they had been around each other for a longer period of time. So they had that continuity. But still, Carr dropped back to throw the ball 30 times. So you telling me out of 30 times, could nobody push him down, sack him? or some type of pressure.
0: Just let them know you're there. Yeah,
1: let let them, exactly. So that was something that kind of stood out for me because if you can't put pressure and knock that quarterback around and you got a young secondary, then you're basically setting your secondary up for big plays and a long day. So you got to put pressure on that quarterback. You got to get sacks. I don't care if the quarterback is dropping back, getting the ball out of his hands quick. You still got to have some type of presence where that quarterback has to think I almost got sacked or I almost got knocked down. And for a majority of the game, I didn't really see any of that happening.
0: Yeah, really. And you're correct. Really, for both teams, there really wasn't a lot of pressure on uh, from the front four from the Raiders or the Panthers, really, against those opposing quarterbacks. And I'm kind of glad you mentioned that, because my third and final takeaway from Sunday uh, had to do with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, You know, a lot of people were really curious to see how Teddy was going to run this offense. And, you know, what? I had this thought about uh, probably after the first drive where after watching them go down the field. I realized it was the first time probably in a decade that I've watched a Panther offense and felt secure in what they were doing. And, and by, Mm -hmm. by that, I mean, uh, there was a certain level of like calmness to it and precision. Like he knew where he was going. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was really the first time being a Cam Newton fan. It's really easy to uh, ignore some of his faults and Mm -hmm. watching Teddy on Sunday for me, I realized that I was ignoring for seven years. The fact that a lot of times back there in the pocket cam would be indecisive with where he wanted to go. Either. He really Mm -hmm. wanted to get all of it in one chunk. So there was a lot of, you know, 20, 30 yard passes down the field off of play action Mm -hmm. or something. But usually there was only like two targets. So literally he's waiting for two guys to get open, which would cause him to have sacks, which would cause him to get pressured, which Mm -hmm. ultimately caused him to get hurt. Uh, With Teddy, there was none of that. It was like he knew exactly – you could tell he knew the offense. That, that Maybe mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say because he, yeah. he would take a snap. The ball was gone in two, three seconds. And something – I was talking to a, uh, a high school football coach last night about this, and he was talking about how uh, some of his previous quarterbacks were scared to throw it across the middle of the field. And they yeah. told him straight up that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of traffic there. I can't really see. I'm afraid of making a mistake, so I don't really throw it yeah. in the middle. Teddy was slinging the thing in the middle of the field all game long to the point where, like I just mentioned before, I was wondering, it was almost like he wasn't even looking at McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't even his thought process. It was, I'm going to Robbie Anderson, I'm going to Curtis Samuel, I'm going to DJ Moore, and I know exactly who my first read is or my second read is or my third, Uh, and he could go through his progressions one, two, three, boom, 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 and get it out. And we never – we haven't had that here since – Maybe Steve Burline, to be honest, because Jake wasn't like that either. Jake DeLone, he kind of was more of a gunslinger, more in the Brett Favre type of mold. Cam yeah. was more of a, you know, play action, kind of had to wait it out. And Cam relied on his arm strength, like to get the ball to places where Cam never threw guys open, really. He basically fit the ball in tight pockets, like tight windows, when he would throw it because his arm was so strong. Yeah. Teddy didn't do that. Teddy's got a little touch on his throw. And Teddy is super accurate, um, which is amazing for Panther fans to see because <laughs> we haven't really had a guy that can throw at a 60 65% clip on average every Sunday. Uh, Teddy had, you know, 22 for 34, 270 yards. He threw for one touchdown. And i had been on record saying that Teddy's not the type of quarterback that's going to give you 375 yards and five touchdowns. Like, he's not that guy. Like, he, I don't think – Not that he can't have a game like that, of course, but he's not that kind of guy that's going to give you a streak of five games where he's just on fire throwing for, you know, 400 yards and doing video game, Pat Mahomes-type numbers. That's just not who he is, but he, he is a winner. He's very confident in his abilities, and you could tell the coaching staff is, too. And really, after the game was over, normally when the Panthers lose, I'm, like, kind of down, my, my wife and kids leave me alone for a couple hours. They go off to the other side of the house. They kind of just let me sulk. And uh, I didn't feel that way after Sunday. I, it was almost like a moral victory kind of after going through last year where it just felt like we should have won that game if we had done a couple things different. And those are things that are correctable. I mean, those are correctable things that happen. So I kind of left the game more optimistic than before the game started in terms of what the Panthers could do going further into the 2020 season. Maybe I'm yeah. alone. I don't know. But that, that's how I yeah. felt when the game was over.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm going to go back to Teddy. You, you mentioned Teddy uh, as far as him, you know, really being consistent in the offense. I, I i really agree with you on that. And I also want to add that I think Teddy can be that quarterback that can throw the ball. Uh, he threw it, uh, what, uh, 34 times, I believe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 20, 20, he 22 for 34. Yeah. So he can throw the ball. Yeah. Uh, and I do think he can be that quarterback that if you need for him to throw for 300 some yards every game, he can. And it's like acting. It's like acting. Sometimes you get tight-casted, depending on the offensive coordinators that you played for. They may just be that type of offensive coordinator, like you said, about players, quarterbacks scared to throw the ball across the middle. Well, sometimes you have offensive coordinators that are scared to open up their offense, and they basically just do what is – required to get the ball moving. But then you got some offensive coordinators, just like actors, they could take on any role. It doesn't matter what the situation is. They're going to do what they do. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is that type of quarterback that can throw for 300, 400 some yards. If you ask him or to take over the game, because you can't come into this league unless you have been scouted and they know that you can do that. Of course, you know, we can go back to his college years. You know, he's done it. So, um, I think he will have an opportunity to show that he is that guy that can throw for 300 plus yards, three games in a row, 400 uh, yards uh, in a row, because he has not only the personnel, but I think he has the belief. Now I want to go into my last one as far as my why. Mm -hmm. Now this is very, a very big concern for me. Why the low production by DJ Moore, if he is the number one receiver, on the Panthers, for this Panthers receivers core. I'm like, he was targeted nine times. Nine times he was targeted. He only had four receptions, which 54 yards. So that's only about a 44% completion uh, rate to him. And he only had like about eight yards after the catch. yak, what they call yak, When you catch it and bam, you just turn it up and get extra yards. Looking back at his history, this is probably the worst game. And I'm pretty sure DJ would say the same thing, that this is probably his worst game since week 16 of his rookie season. So DJ has to step it up. He has the ability. Because if he doesn't step up, then, of course, Christian McCaffrey, which he took a lot of snaps last this past game. Wow. Out of the 67, I think he has 65 snaps. That's too many snaps. You got to give him rest. Yes, I understand you paid him a lot, but still, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a long season. So you don't want him wearing down towards the end. So some of these other guys got to step up. So my thing, again, is why the low production by DJ Moore? You got to step up, DJ, or the Panthers got to get him more involved. But he was targeted nine times. He was targeted the most out of all the receivers. So if he's going to be that number one guy, he has to come up with more than four catches and more than 54 yards if you're targeted nine times. But I'm pretty sure DJ already know this. He's a professional, and I'm pulling for DJ. But it's also I want him to be the best, so I'm going to call out what I know that he could be better at. So he has to step his game up. So why the no production.
0: That's a a great point, too, because uh, another thing that I had noticed was that it didn't feel like DJ Moore was the number one option. It felt like Robbie Anderson was. Uh, It felt like Teddy seemed more comfortable with Robbie as his first read on a lot of these runs and plays or whatnot. The long connection, Robbie kind of juking the the cornerback and getting open, getting downfield for a 75-yard touchdown play uh, play from Bridgewater for a touchdown. Uh, It just felt like Robbie was the first guy – then DJ, then Curtis, and then if none of them were open, then he would check down to McCaffrey, which only happened a couple of times in the game. So uh, a couple of couple of good things, a couple of bad things we saw from the uh, the Panthers this past Sunday against the Raiders, but we need to move on because the season is moving on. The NFL train is not stopping, and we've got a, a familiar face uh, that we're going to go visit here in week two down in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady and the 0-1 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they lost to the New Orleans Saints Uh, Sunday afternoon after we were done and um, Mm -hmm. this was this is basically where we give our four keys to the game some things that we're gonna uh, give to you guys to look for in this game if the Panthers can do this they have a great shot of winning Uh, my first key to the game the Panthers defense and you touched on this earlier the Panthers defense has to cause turnovers they didn't get any turnovers last week Uh, meanwhile Tampa Tom Brady lost a fumble last week he threw two interceptions last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa's defense, uh, excuse me, Tampa's offense is prone to giving up the ball. And a lot of that I think has to do with rattling Brady with pressure, which has really been the calling card would stop Tom Brady. Even from when he was younger, uh, he's, he's never been a scrambler. He's not the fastest guy mm-hmm. out there. And mm-hmm. of course he's 43. So if mm-hmm. you, I've always told people that Brady kind of operates in a box. Like when he, when he gets the snap, He's kind of in a, Peyton Manning was like this too, and Drew Brees to a certain extent, although Drew will kind of roll out a little bit because of his size to get over the line. But Brady tends to work in like a, almost like a four by four box. He stays in that box. He goes through his reads and he doesn't like to get flushed out of the box. If he gets out of that little box and he's on the run, typically he's not going to be as accurate. He's not going to be as confident where he's going. And the, the teams that have had the most success against Tom Brady over the years, like those giant Super Bowl teams, They've been able to get to him with just their front four and get him out of that box. So this will be a test for Carolina's front four. I want to see way more of uh, the second-round pick from Penn State, uh, Yator Gros Matos, who only played a couple of snaps last week and admittedly said he – they just said he wasn't ready. Uh, There was a couple of times where the ball was snapped. Everyone's out of their stance. His hand is still in the dirt. You know, like he's behind. Mm -hmm. So I want to see more from him. I didn't hear Brian Burns name once, I don't believe, uh on on Sunday. I want to see more from Kwan short. Uh Derek Brown is doing everything that I hoped he would do. He's getting a lot of attention, but tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, Sunday should be Brian Burns' day to just wreck havoc in Tampa in terms of getting to Tom Brady. You know Tampa's going to be throwing the ball uh t- matter of fact, Brady was 15 of 28 for 157 yards and one touchdown through the first 54 minutes of that game against New Orleans on Sunday. He was having a pretty mm-hmm. pedestrian type of game, and I'm thinking more often than not he's going to have that type of game throughout this season. Mm-hmm. i voice voiced concern that he's going to make it through the season. I, I, Tampa Bay's offensive line is probably the worst offensive line he's been behind in his career. So he there's an opportunity there for the Panthers' defense to rattle Brady, get back there early, like you said earlier, put some hands on that man. Like get to him, let him know you're there, so he's thinking about it during the game. And yeah. then, then the other stuff like getting the ball to—he's got two Pro Bowl wide receivers. He's got a bunch of running. He's got four running backs. He's got Gronk is there, and uh, he's got another tight end. And none of that matters if he's on the ground. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if he's sitting down, if he's on the ground, none of that matters. So, I mean, to me, that's yeah. the first key of the game. Put some pressure on Brady.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll second that by adding in, which was one of mine as well. Can the front four of the Panthers, like you mentioned, uh, the front four of the Panthers' defense get to Brady and knock him around? How will defense coordinator Phil Snow, how will he do that? Will he dial up some blitzes that will leave his corners? Dante Jackson right now, he's probably going to be the healthiest. And Troy, uh, Troy Pride Jr., if he dials up some blitzes, will that leave them exposed for bigger plays? How will Phil Snow put pressure on Brady? And we know based off of history, they have always said, you do not pressure Tom Brady because he'll make you pay. Right. So that front four has to be athletic enough and has to be tenacious enough to just win their one-on-one battles. Now let's not forget it's five offensive linemen versus four defensive linemen. So, you know, the offensive line has an advantage. So in order, if the front four cannot put pressure directly, then defense coordinator Phil Snow has to dial up some blitzes again, which will put Dante Jackson and Troy Pride Jr. exposed to some veteran wide receivers in Evans and Godwin. So, you know, we all know, again, like I said, what Tom can do with the football if he has time to throw.
0: You know, I, Tom Brady is one of those guys that I, I've never Liked as a player matter of fact, it's because he beats a lot of my favorite teams. (laughs) So I've always carried this affinity towards not liking Tom Brady. I've grown to respect Tom Brady. Uh, It's a hateful Mm -hmm. respect, really, over the past couple of years um, for what he is. And he will go down as the greatest quarterback of all time when he when he does decide decide to finally stop playing. Um, The second thing, and I'm probably going to say this every single week, but. Mm The Panthers' defense has to hold the Bucks to under 100 yards rushing. Like they just have mm-hmm. to. Like that. I'm old school. Stop the run. Run the ball. That that's to me. That's going to win you more games than lose. No matter what era it is. No matter how many times the, the uh, teams are passing the ball and you know all this fast paced stuff. If you can run the ball and you can stop mm-hmm. the run, your team is going to win a bunch of football games in the NFL. Exactly. And uh, last week the the Bucks only rushed for 86 yards uh, on the ground, mm-hmm. and a lot of that went to uh uh, Ronald Jones, uh, Jr., 17 carries, 66 yards. He only averaged 3.9 yards a carry. So the the Saints did a really good job controlling the Bucks' run game, or the Bucks did a very poor job executing their run game. It was one or the other, Um and not sure which one that may have been, but uh Leonard Fournette, who was recently signed to the team, he only got, I think, like one rush for like five yards or something like that. I didn't see any rushes for LaShawn McCoy, um uh, yeah probably won't game. see
1: none in the whole season probably yeah
0: <laughs> so I don't even know why they, like I said I forgot they signed him so I don't even know yeah. what his what his role is going to be on this team I think maybe like a third down back I guess coming out of the backfield maybe to yeah, pick up to first be. down something mm-hmm. if, he, if he plays so um you know that to me if the Panthers defense who again they only allowed 133 yards last week but Josh Jacobs got 93 yards of that and three touchdowns on 25 carries uh, yeah. The Raiders were able to kind of impose what they wanted to do on offense, and that's something that I think Carolina needs to pay attention to. Because yeah, I, I clown about Tom Brady being forty-three years old, but if you let Tom Brady get comfortable and and start hitting guys and start running yeah. the offense, yeah, they will run over a hundred yards on us because he'll he'll yeah. he will run that offense to a T. I've seen this movie before, and <laughs> I don't want to see it on Sunday. So yeah. stop the Bucks from rushing for a hundred yards, and, and we got a shot. That's my second. My second takeaway there.
1: Well, I'll stay with you on defense as well. Uh, My point is uh, which defensive team, which defensive team, the Panthers or the Bucks, would be more improved this second game? Both of them gave up 34 points. I don't think, I don't expect. Both of them give up 34 points uh, this week coming up. The Bucks, of course, they probably got more of an opportunity to jail quicker because they have been around one another uh, a little bit more. But my thing is which team defensively overall will improve. So right now both of them are ranked 26th <laughs> as far <laughs> as points in the NFL. Yeah. But I think one of them is going to move up, and I'm hoping it's the Panthers that will not allow – over 30 points, uh, this upcoming game against the Bucks, but that's one of my uh, 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 uh cues. The other one is taking pressure off of Christian McCaffrey again. McCaffrey played 65 of 67 offensive snaps, it's just too much. It's too much, that's extremely rare for a running back. You got to give him rest. I know he's young, but still, it's a human body, and human bodies wear and tear. I don't care what age you are. It can slow you down. So my thing is can Teddy and I'm going to call them the three amigos, <laughs> the three amigos, <laughs> of Stephen core of Anderson Moore and Samuel yeah. get, The party started. Can they get the party started? This great offense that they say the Panthers is explosive receiving core. Can they get the party started in Florida? Now, I know they say the weather's supposed to be windy and, you know, supposed to be a little bit of slight chance of rain. So that can affect the passing game, especially that wind. I think they say say it's supposed to get up around 15 to 20 miles per hour or what have you. So it's kind of like a golf ball. You know, you hit that golf ball. If you don't aim it right, then the wind's going to push your ball somewhere that you don't want it to go. So the same thing is when throwing a football, you, the wind does affect that ball, but you got to take pressure off of Christian McCaffrey, And, you know, I, I just got to see this receiving core do more, but like you mentioned earlier, aside from Anderson's long touchdown run last week uh versus the Raiders uh mm-hmm. the Raiders what happened to Moore and Samuel? You know, basically you yeah, you, you take away that long throw Anderson, Moore and Samuel, the Raiders did a pretty good job at taming that explosive uh receivers uh core. Those three guys that are supposed to be the explosive part of the Panthers offense along with Christian McCaffrey. So I got to see them become more explosive this week against those Buccaneers throwing the ball.
0: I want to say DJ Moore had a couple of drops uh, Sunday too. Um, I think there was one in the third quarter that a lot of Panther fans were just like, "Ah, what are you doing? But um, I agree. Uh, We got to see more from Moore and Samuel, Um, you know, going into, going into the like training camp stuff, there was a lot of talk about Curtis Samuel, um, needing to to really show out this year because it's a contract year for him. And t- the past couple of years, Curtis Samuels played well in the preseason and then kind of leveled off in the regular season. So there was high hopes for him. Um, I'm hoping that he's going to have a shot because if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Panthers did bring in uh, a guy, a wide receiver. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's from Iowa State. Uh, that hadn't been signed. They brought him in and worked him out this week. Uh, And from what I was seeing from Panther talking heads was that he might be brought in as a third wide receiver, which would be trouble for Curtis Samuel. So maybe that's a way to kind of get him to be alert and understand what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, if they bring in some people to check out maybe taking your spot, maybe you should play your spot better. So we'll find out um, this, this regime in Carolina is not attached to any of these players that were here before they got here. Uh, So Samuel should keep that in mind that, Just because he was drafted by Marty Herney doesn't necessarily mean that this coaching staff is wanting to keep him uh, in Carolina if he doesn't perform. They do seem very performance-based, so that's a storyline to keep an eye on there if Curtis Samuel can uh, do something going forward here. Uh, You're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Desmond Johnson, Tyrell Poole here with you. We'll be with you every week through the season, taking recaps of the uh, previous week's game and a preview of the upcoming game and our thoughts on what could happen uh, in those. Uh, Real quick before we get out of here, Todd, I know you're saying they should kind of not burn out McCaffrey, but I'm coming at it from a totally selfish standpoint. (laughs) I'm not even going to lie. Like, I want to see... I'm fine with the, how many rushes he got, uh, 23 rushes, 96 yards, get him lathered up a little bit. That seems about right for where he should be in the in the uh, the rushing game, about 20, 25 carries, hopefully about 100 yards. That's what you expect from your, your bell cow in the backfield, right? But, again, like I touched on before, I want to see him targeted more in the passing game. He's already out there, mm-hmm. and he takes care of his body, so it's not like he's getting a lot of hits and stuff in the passing game. A lot of times he's catching it – on routes going out of bounds or he's he's uh, already down or that kind of thing. Or he's got room to maneuver once he catches the ball. He's in space. So he's pretty good about avoiding huge hits. Uh, he was only targeted four times. He caught three balls. I'd like to see that maybe maybe doubled if, if your other guys like Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore just aren't giving you what you need. You do have basically a de facto fourth wide receiver out there in Christian McCaffrey that – Many people think he runs the routes better than more Samuel does in terms of uh, wide receiver tree. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that target maybe doubled six, seven targets for McCaffrey. Cause there was a couple of like second, third down pass plays that Teddy had where he could have thrown into McCaffrey in the flat and he would have caught it, picked up seven, eight yards and who knows what else after. Um, But having said that Bridgewater for the most part made the right decisions and actually completed a lot of passes that I would have, I would have cringed at if it was <laughs> if it was another quarterback. I'm so used to like watching Panther games with my hands kind of balled up and like, uh, like tense because <laughs> I don't know where the ball is going. I don't know what's going to happen on this play or that play. Did not feel that at all. Even down on uh, Sunday against the Raiders, they felt in control and they felt like they could move up and down the field with the ball. And I don't think that's going to stop with Tampa. Um, I'm going to, I don't, I haven't looked to see who's favored in this yep. game. I know Tampa's at home. Yeah, uh, Tampa's favorite. They're
1: favorite, they're, do you know how much they're yeah. favored by? Uh, they're favored by, I think, uh, over a touchdown. But over let me go touchdown. back and say this. Uh, you Now, Now, your perspective and my perspective, of course, going to be different. Um, again, I, actually playing in this game oh, with and being a professional, I would say, add it. When I say snaps, now I know you said carries, his 23 carries. Yes, I agree with you. That's Pretty much spot on, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about snaps. Oh, how many many plays he's on the field? How many plays he's out there on the field? Not how many times he carried the ball. Not how many times they target him in the passing game. But how many times does he get to rest? Because if you don't rest, and we all know just from a human body, if you don't get proper sleep and you work in a nine to five, which the NFL players and all professional athletes, those are nine to five jobs for us. We're just not working for Microsoft. We're not working for, you know, maybe uh, Home Depot. But still, if you don't get your rest, your body will start to wear down. And that's mm-hmm. how you begin to get colds or you pull muscles because the muscle is fatigued. I don't care what type of of recovery program you have. Your body will let you know. So, again, myself playing this game, whenever we play man-to-man, I could play man-to-man. But come on, coach, don't wear me out. I'm going to get tired. Give me a zone. Throw me a zone in there every once in a while. Let me recover. So it's the same thing. Somebody got to come in and replace uh, McCafferty every once in a while. Let him get a breather. Let him go and get some, some glucose in his uh, veins so he can get <laughs> more energy and he can come out and be more productive. So that's what I mean. Somebody else has to step up to take the pressure off of him so he doesn't have to be in there for almost nearly 100% of the snaps. And my last thing about this Panthers and Bucks game, the special team is going to have to contribute. The special team, kick returner, punt returner, Farrell uh, Cooper, you know, his biggest thing is probably going to be just catching the ball if 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 the wind is expected to be like it is. That ball once they punt it, once they make the Bucks punt, that ball is going to get up in the air, it's going to start moving here and there and if he doesn't catch the ball, then that could spell problems for the defense coming back out there on the field. So, and if he does catch it, if Pharaoh Cooper does catch the ball, he has to be able to get some good return yards out of it. Mm -hmm. And then the kicker, Joe Sly. Joe Sly. Yeah, yeah, Joe Sly. Yeah, Joey Sly. Yeah, he has to convert the opportunities when he gets the opportunity to put points on that board. So he has to put points on the board because every point counts. So from Joey Sly to... Farrell Cooper, the special teams, and all those that cover kicks. It's a three-area game, offense, defense, and special teams. And if all three are clicking, then you give your team an opportunity to win. The Panthers will get themselves an opportunity to go down and win a divisional game. This is their first divisional game. It's a very important game. So if you can come away from Tampa with a win, then when you get them up in Bank of America Stadium, we're home now. Hopefully, we won't have the guy playing the same uh music and fan <laughs> <sand> noise. But <laughs> <laughs> I know but.
0: Sir Purr was probably confused as hell <laughs> like the whole game up in the stands by himself dancing, Robbie Anderson yeah. thinking he's a bear up there in the uh in the stands <laughs> or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a great place to end it actually, too. So Tampa Bay, Carolina, 1 p.m. Sunday on Fox. Uh, the Panthers go on the road for the first time in the 2020 season. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about this game. I think um, with this team being as young as they are, I think that they're going to be able to adjust to some of the things that they saw on tape this week that they did not do correctly. Um, and they'll be able to grow. That's the thing I was really looking for. Can this team have the ability to grow from their mistakes? Because we knew they are going to have mistakes. Can exactly. they grow from it? Can they get better from it? And I think they can. I think they have the mindset yes. to do that. Yes, I feel really will. positive about the team. So we'll see. see. Uh, you know, we'll 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 find out Sunday at one o'clock. Um, our time is up, here. we yes, got to get out of here. Um, <laughs> for Ty, for uh my man Tyrone Pool, I'm Desmond Johnson. You've been listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Follow us on uh, Twitter. I'm at uh, Des d e z underscore three five zero five. Ties Ty at Tyrone Pool thirty eight on uh Twitter. Follow us for uh, for updates and things of that sort. Plus, this is on the Believe Podcast Network. You can find it in any place where major podcasts are uh, located. So we will talk to you guys next week. Go Panthers, taking on Tampa this Sunday at 1 o'clock.